it's quite a dichotomous sport in a way because in the summer months you can actually swim head down do proper swimming but in the winter the sport completely changes to floating around just having a chat with a woolly hat on which I really love it's great (laughs) hello and welcome to wild women the wild swimming podcast I'm Laura McDonald Oh my, I am looking forward to sharing today's chat with you all. So I am going to do the necessary bit super quickly. So you can follow the show on Facebook and Instagram at Wild Women Pod. And if you love the show and are able to contribute a few coins towards the production costs, then you can buy me a coffee or join the Wild Women Patreon. All of the links are in the show notes. Right, okay, that's enough of that. It is Christmas after all, and it is the season of giving. So your gift from me, Wild Wimmers, is to overhear my natter with the fantastic Melanie Barrett. Melanie is a swimming teacher with a background as a seriously accomplished pool swimmer. Seriously, seriously. Like, gold medal winning seriously? She won two Paralympic gold medals, as well as two silvers and a bronze, from the Games in Atlanta and Sydney. I have an actual gold medalist on my show. Enjoy my fangirling, it's only slightly cringy. Melanie is a fairly recent convert to swimming outdoors. Because of her visual impairment, she's registered blind, she originally thought that swimming in the great outdoors might not be for her. Might not be for her. But a friend encouraged her to give it a go and she hasn't stopped since. She talked me through her first few swim events and the adaptations and workarounds that she has found to help keep her safe and competitive in the open water. You know here at Wild Women that I also love a good protest, so I picked Melanie's brains about the work that she has been involved with in the Restore Kenilworth Lido campaign. We spoke a few weeks ago before a planned sit-in, and I'll let you know a bit more about how that went after the interview. We chat all things Eagle Corner, accessibility, kayaking husbands, and why sometimes you just have to follow the green lady. First of all, can I just get you to say your name nice and clearly? Yep, Melanie Barrett. Lovely, Melanie. Thank you. And tell me, what kind of swimmer are you? Are you a dipper, a swimbler, a serious swimmer or an athlete? Probably serious swimmer stroke athlete, I would say. I would say so too. I mean... Liz, before we talk about your open water swimming, you've got some game in uh, pool swimming. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your achievements there? Okay, so um, this is going back quite a long way now. Um, I, do you want me to say a little bit about my, my visual impairment as well and how I got into swimming from oh, that yeah, point of view? I mean, yeah, if you want to talk about how you got into swimming uh, right at the very beginning, I would love to hear that story. Basically, I'm registered blind, but I've got a little bit of sight in my right eye. So I was sent to initially a, a just a local school, but then I ended up going to a, a what's called a special school. I think it still is. Um, and they happened to be a very sporty school at that time. Um, there was a, a very enthusiastic PE teacher who was quite uh, pretty much erring towards athletics, but she dabbled in swimming. Um, she was a pretty she was a pretty good teacher actually all round, and she was quite motivational. Um, she tried to teach me swimming, but I was pretty poor at it, and my technique was terrible. And we went to this local swimming gala for uh, disabled swimmers, and there was somebody there who said to me, "Your stamina's quite good. If you actually got your technique better, you might actually be pretty good." 
And I went away and thought about it. And then I had a friend who was very good at swimming and she was selected to go to the Barcelona Paralympics. And she beat me in everything. And I'm very competitive in a lot of aspects. And even though she was my friend, I was determined to beat her. So I went away and thought about what the guy said. And there's a local pool here, Kenilworth Swimming Pool. Um, and I joined Kenilworth Masters, even though I was way too young for it. And the guy there took me under his wing and basically corrected my technique and motivated me so much that I, I kept increasing the training. And basically, long story short, the um, there's a local charity called British Blind Sports who um, go around all schools and um, try and encourage blind people to get into sport. And in those days, they used to have training weekends where they came to the schools and selected children to go um, to their swimming training weekends where you do like probably I think it's about four or five training sessions in a weekend it was pretty intensive and there were so many children those days that they used to have development weekends so you get selected if you're okay you got selected to go to the development weekend and then at the end of the weekend we all sat in this room I can remember this very clearly I went to a couple of them and at the end of the weekend you sat in this room coach went around every individual swimmer saying your, your technique's crap but your stamina's good. You're still in the development squad. Next person, you're brilliant. You're in the national squad, which is fantastic, obviously. And uh, several times I was sat there and they got around to me and they say, you're getting better, but you're still in the development squad. And then eventually I went to one weekend and they said, oh, you're in the national squad. And it was like I'd won the lottery. It was amazing. <laughs> so once you were in the national squad, you went to a different training weekend. And then they'd select from there to go to national championships and to go on toward to international competitions. Um, so. I eventually got to do that and went to um, my first international was the Europeans in Rome in 1993. And at this time, Heather, my friend, had retired. So I never actually got to race against her, which is a bit of a shame because I think probably would have beaten her. <laughs> Although I would have said, would say that, wouldn't I? Yeah, so then my career just took off from there, really. Um, every year there's an international um, events in various different places and um, obviously culminated in world championships and the big things obviously at the Paralympics and I went to the Paralympics in Atlanta where I got gold and silver and then in Sydney where I got gold and bronze um, and it's, it was an amazing amazing career so many happy memories I could just talk so long about all the different areas that the different places I swam in and the different things that I saw and how inspirational people were and and you know how the the venues varied and people's attitudes disabilities varied and all this kind of thing it's just just a whole different story entirely um but that's basically how I got into pool swimming and that was my swimming career really in a very short space of time (laughs) (laughs) it's just so exciting Uh, do you get the medals out to look at them every now and again well, we're lucky. When we moved into this house we're in now, uh, the guy left behind this great big a big glass display cabinet with doors that you can open and close. Whereas when we lived in our old house, they just kept them in the drawer because we weren't sure what to do with them. But that's a per- perfect cabinet because you can get them out and look at them or you can just walk past them and look at them. And it's also, I, I carried the Olympic torch as well. So it's the perfect size for that to fit in as well. So I've got like this little kind of ego corner, I guess. <laughs> I don't really look at it unless somebody asks me to see them um or if I'm going to an event I'm going to take the medals to show them mm-hmm. which they've been out recently because I've been campaigning for the Lido and I've taken them along to kind of look this is what I've done listen to me kind of thing so you've got those career highlights what are you what are you up to nowadays well I did double a bit in competitive swimming well it's quite a few years ago now because I fancied the idea of going to London 2012 so back then I thought I'd give it another go. Um, so I 
I did train quite intensively for it because obviously you need to train, you know, about four hours a day to really be up there. And I did get myself up to quite a good standard. And I went to um, just a local gala to do some qualification times for the um, Olympic trials. And I absolutely hated it. I couldn't just, I was fit enough and I probably could have got through to the trials, but even just standing on the blocks in a little little local gala just gave me such stress and butterflies and I just felt so awful that I, I just thought I can't I can't do this if I can't cope with a local gala how am I going to cope with the trials or even going to London so although it would have been amazing to be there I think my mind had kind of moved on from that kind of stressful competitive situation I think some when you have children you're your priorities change and maybe your your body changes and it just doesn't want to be in that situation anymore doesn't feel safe in that environment and happy in that environment and I I just didn't enjoy it at all so I I've always loved swimming but I decided I'm just not going to compete at all ever again it just even just for a local master's club I just would not enjoy it I I love training and I'd train as hard as anybody but I don't want to be in that stressful situation again which is was a really interesting experience and and yeah I was quite surprised about but I I thought well it's just not for me anymore um and I've always really really wanted to do try open water swimming but not being able to see in well well I can see in a pool because the water's very clear and there's black lines to follow on the bottom, which I can see. And I know how many strokes I've got to do in a 25 metre pool and a 50 metre pool. So it's fine. It's, I could spend all day going up and down there. But in open water, I've always I always used to think it's just going to be impossible. You know, if I can't see anything, it's going to be just impossible for me. Um, I tried. Um, yeah, a lot. Quite shortly after I retired from doing the competitive swimming, I had a go at doing triathlon and I I was really quite nervous about trying open water. And then um, a friend paired me up with a very good triathlete, actually, to um, to train with. And she introduced me to open water for the first time. And it was uh quite an interesting experience because when I put my face in the water which is probably the same for everybody I couldn't see anything at all nothing just just green dark green um and when obviously you need to sight in open water swimming which if I lift lift my head up I can't see anything above the water unless it's very very close so I can't see things in the distance to swim towards like a buoy or a tree or a a lamppost or even or anything really uh, so the solution that we came up with was to be tethered at the ankle and it worked relatively well as long as the person is a similar pace um, and she was at the time and we did we did manage to swim I mean in triathlon it's a relatively short distance we were doing Olympic distance so it's 1,500 meters so it wasn't too far um, so we were similar paces and in open water you don't tend to kick your legs very much either so initially you would think being tethered at the ankle would be an absolute nightmare but it was okay um and she could push me with her hand as well if she really needed to direct me around somewhere and I could look to see where she was when I breathed to the side I could see her her bright hat um so that worked quite well um but then I think I had another child after that. So we kind of lost contact with each other and she's not doing it anymore. Um, so very recently, probably a couple of years ago, 
I'm almost ashamed to admit that I joined the the COVID swimmer <laughs> campaign where everybody came to to open water swimming because I feel like I, I kind of I started before then but I don't think I actually did I think I did start last year during COVID like everybody else um, but only because I've, I came very good friends with somebody called Heather Clatworthy who's done several channel attempts and she was doing she was currently training for her um her latest channel attempt and I saw her all her posts on Facebook and I thought that looks just amazing I really really wish I could do that that's such an amazing achievement to do and it's somewhere where something you could do where you can swim but not actually be under the stressful environment of the swimming pool where it's just all focused on that one race it's just you know actually swimming to enjoy it and to you know just to get somewhere and to be in the outdoors and to to achieve something rather than swim for a time and swimming for you know to win a race it just appealed to me so much um and I, on holiday I'd kind of dabbled a little bit you know putting my face in and trying to do a few strokes and I, I you know it just felt so great to be outside um so I contacted her and she yes yeah, so she kind of took me under her wing and um took me to the local river and explained to me about the different water temperatures and she told me it was 14 degrees on the day and I couldn't believe it I thought I was never going to get into water that was 14 degrees I'm used to swimming in 29 and it was absolutely freezing obviously because 14 degrees to me then was just just ridiculously cold um but it just to be outside was just amazing and to be able to kind of just as we all know as um open water swimmers and dippers it's such a social thing and to see the to be in the water but to see everything from and hear everything and smell all the river and it just just was such an amazing feeling and I got obviously got the cold water buzz from being in there and it just I just was just so thrilled by the whole experience and Heather was just so encouraging um that we arranged to meet up and try it again so I went to the river again with her and we thought we'd try heads down swimming with the with a tether at our ankle but turned out that unfortunately Heather is a long distance kind of just keeps going forever type of swimmer whereas I come from the other background whereas I'm kind of um a lot more you know I go for shorter distance and faster so put it put it in the nicest way we were the wrong paces so it just didn't work at all um which was quite frustrating for both of us and disappointing because obviously we were hoping that we could swim together and I'd I'd um well I was hoping that I could start doing some open water open water event but with without her being able to do it I wasn't sure how I could could do that we can we continued you know meeting up and going to the river and doing dipping and like you do in the winter time with your woolly hats on just dipping and chatting and um enjoying the the whole kind of shock of being in the cold water and then recovering and I kind of grew out of my wetsuit a bit and got braver and decided to try without it and then over the winter last year I joined the the skins brigade very um tentatively um <laughs> for 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 very short dips but i can definitely see the appeal of not wearing the wetsuit it's it's great um but i actually entered without really thinking it through i entered a 10k in a welsh lake um it, and i entered it about this time last year um during lockdown which you know, wasn't really well thought through because a I hadn't done an awful lot of swimming, even though I've I've got a good stroke. I hadn't done much swimming recently, and it was only once I looked at the training plan that I found on the internet that I realised 
exactly what I'd taken on. I was going to have to train for like three hours in the end to get the, the stamina to do it. And then I, who was I going to do it with? But I wanted a goal to work towards. So I'm very, very lucky. I've got to admit, I've got an in, a pool here that's very small, but I could tether myself to a pillar and swim on a tether. So even through lockdown, I was able to swim and I just had to up the time that I spent on this tether, which is mind-blowingly boring. But, you know, so swimming sometimes if you have to do long distances. So I was able to train there and also do the little dips in the river. But my ultimate problem was, how am I going to navigate myself around this this lake in Wales uh, without finding somebody to swim alongside me? And I kept advertising people and I couldn't find anybody that would was willing to do it. Um, my first thought was, well, maybe I could just do it myself and just kind of put my heads down and just go and try and hope for the best, <laughs> which I realised quite quickly once I tried it in a river, it's just not safe. <laughs> so um, I had heard when I was uh, doing triathlon in the past that if you're visually impaired, you can have a kayaker alongside you. Um, so I emailed the organiser organizer of this 10K and asked if they could um, allow somebody paddle in a kayak next to me and guide me and the guy said yeah that's fine that'd be really good so my husband bought a one-person kayak and we tried it in the river once the river warmed up a little bit and I was able to tolerate swimming in it for longer Uh, we tried it and generally if it's somebody that's paying attention it's fine um like I've did it with Heather at paddleboarding next to me as well and she's she's she was very good because she's because she's a swimmer herself she knows exactly what to point out and what to say um even though I can't hear her she I can follow when I breathe to the left I can see like the the kayak or the paddleboard and I if it's very close and I can follow where that goes um you know sometimes I think because it my husband is my husband he tends to get a bit more distracted (laughs) um and on occasions kind of looks at something in the field and rather than me and I swim into a log or something like that but which is it's not great but um it's I can understand really when you're doing something for about an hour it must be quite boring especially if you have to I mean for them on a paddleboard or in a kayak it's a very very slow thing whereas if I'm swimming I'm kind of going as hard as I can but for them, they're just kind of paddling along and sometimes not even paddling because the river can take them downstream. Um, but we worked out how we could do it. Um, and we kind of had a bit of a plan of how we we're going to do this 10K. Uh, so the 10K was in June and it was my first proper open water swimming event. And I was pretty nervous because a, I've never really been in cold water for that length of time. I was going to be in there for upwards of three hours I I'd estimated 20 minutes per kilometer it's going to be about three hours 20 and that was going to be a real shock and B I didn't think I wouldn't be able to see anything at all and I had to rely on Richard entirely and I just didn't know if I could be able to make the distance basically I'd been on the tre- tether three hours so I kind of thought I would be able to but it's a different kettle of fish to actually do it propelling yourself around a lake yeah the event was it was <laughs> it was quite an interesting experience in a lot of ways um there weren't that many people there because I think a lot of people struggled to train for it because it was just as everything opened up after COVID so it wasn't as busy as it could have been and they did set us off we had a window of five minutes basically set up at any time during that time so it wasn't like a mass start which I was really worried about uh being all chaotic and everything so I went right at the back to try to give as much space as I could between me and anybody else because obviously Richard had to go alongside me 
Um, and it actually worked really well. I don't. I wasn't aware of anybody at all in the race. Well, maybe once or twice I was aware of some people because apparently I overtook quite a few people and I was aware of some movement next to me, but not a lot. Um, but it seemed like it was just me and Richard in this incredibly wavy, which you wouldn't expect it to be in a lake, but it was incredibly wavy and windy lake. Um, we had to do five laps of two kilometres. And then Richard was obviously struggling a little bit because it was so windy. He was getting blown around all over the place. Uh, going up the lake, he was fighting into the wind. Coming, We had to go across the lake at the top. And then he was kind of like being blown into me. And then at one point I swam into the back of his kayak because he was being blown across me. And then on the way back down the lake, he said he had to do back paddling to try and keep up with me because he was being blown so fast down the lake. So it was quite an experience for both of us, I think. And people said, did I enjoy it? It's kind of weird. I did enjoy it. It was, it was an amazing. It was an amazing achievement to do, but it was really quite, quite hard work in a lot of different ways. And um, I find this really difficult for people to to understand who don't do open water swimming. But it's almost like I was in a different place for three hours because there's all the water rushing over my through my ears, and I can't see anything under the water, and I can't communicate with anybody, and nobody can communicate with me. It's just I'm. It's like I'm almost in uh, on a different planet, planet swim, where it it's like a different part of my life that's just just been transported to. It's really weird, and I, I I've said it to somebody else who does open water swimming, and they they get it, but I don't think anybody else really can unless they've done that sort of thing. Um, and if you swim in the channel, it must be like a whole day of your life is just somewhere else. It's it's really, really weird and really difficult to explain. I was really glad I did it and I really I enjoyed it, but it was really, really hard. My thinking was that I would do this 10K and I'd be really happy about it. And then I could kind of chill out for the rest of the year. But me being me, I needed another challenge. So I entered the Thames Marathon, which I'd always wanted to do because it sounded really cool. Because you start in Henley and then you have to get out at three locks and then finish in Marlow so it's supposed to be 14 kilometers but because of Covid the event coincided with um, the um, Henley Regatta so they had to close the first four kilometers of the course so we started at one of the locks so in between this time Rich and I had done a little bit more a little bit more training with the kayak I think we refi- refined our te- technique slightly so that I told him <laughs> exactly what I wanted him to do rather than him just floating around I said if you kind of if you kind of point the kayak towards the direction you want me to go, I can work out where you want me to go. So I can tell which direction you want us to go in. We need to try and work out basically some kind of communication system. And we were really struggling with that side of things. So I really, really enjoyed the Thames Marathon. It was, it was really well organised right from the very start. It was just so well organised and they were so good at letting and everything I wanted I could have, um, you know, Richard could take part and he could get have help getting out of the locks and get because he had to get the kayak out of each lock and put it back in again uh, which was quite difficult for him but it yes it was it was a great day really really good day the conditions were perfect it was really flat river and the the temperature was perfect so the start was actually at one of the locks they bust us to there and then so Richard and I had to carry the kayak in the bag over to the lock so while everybody else was queuing up to go in at the start we were busily trying to assemble the kayak and um, get everything ready for him. Um, and then I had to kind of um, push my way in to get to the start in time. Yeah, the first stretch was six kilometres and it went so unbelievably quickly. I had that kind of out of body experience again, I guess. 
I was more aware of people in the the Thames. No, I don't think the water's necessarily clearer, but I could just feel people around me a lot more. Um, I guess maybe there were more people involved in it. But Richard was able to swim to kayak quite close to me, so I could follow him quite well. Halfway along this six kilometres, I swam into a lady. This is is how polite we are in swimming in the UK. I swam, well, in certain situations, I guess. We we weren't at the front. I'm sure it's very different at the front. I swam into this lady and I said, oh, Oh, I'm sorry, because I actually scratched her arm and I said, oh, I'm really sorry. She goes, oh, absolutely no problem at all, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious in the middle of a swimming race. But then I realised um, she had very bright bottoms to her wetsuit um, and she had a bright green toe float. And I realised that I was, I'd swam next to her. I could see her green toe float and I could swam next to her for about 10 minutes. And she was the same pace as me. Every time I tried to go around her, it was too hard. So then I went behind her and it was too easy. So I kept trying to get out and go around her. And I realized how how much of, of an influence having a draft is. So I thought, well, I'll just stay behind her then because it's obviously, you know, saving me a lot of effort. And she's Richard said to me afterwards that she took the absolute perfect line down the river, around all the corners and around everybody. So he just kept shouting to me, Mao, Mao. And I can't hear until he really, really shouts. And then I have to stop swimming and go, what? And he says, so he kept saying, follow the lady in the green toe float, follow the green lady. And it's, it's like, oh, that's what this, this lady was thinking. So um, I thought, right, well, obviously it's great. So I followed her all the way through the, six kilom- the rest of the six kilometres. She was absolutely perfect, perfect pace for me. You get to a lock at six kilometres. This is where communication would have been so good for us because I was not aware that we'd even approached this this lot because the flow of the river was so fast that we'd done the six kilometres in some, something ridiculous, like one hour 15, which is really, really fast. And so Richard goes, Mao, 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 Mao. And I was, I was like, oh, I just want to swim. Just think, what is it now? Um, and I, so I stopped and said, what? And he said, follow the lady in the green, follow the lady in the green all the way round. I was like, yes, I'm trying. What he was trying to tell me was that he wanted me to follow her as we got out of the lock, all the way around the lock and get back into the river because he wouldn't be able to stay with me. And I didn't realise until he said, but well, I'm going. <laughs> Being a married couple, obviously, it's you have different communication to say if I'd been with Heather she probably would have explained it a bit better but he just was like right well you're not listening to me so I'm going you just follow her and it was only when I followed this lady out of the lock that I realized what I'd been trying to say and I felt really bad for him and like I had to stop at him for no reason he was only trying to help so we got out of the lock and we had I had to stick behind her because we had to go pretty much cross country over a bridge and over some like fields to the to the feeding station and I kind of didn't want to tell her look I'm following you I just tried to stick behind her and then we had to get back in the river so I got back in and started swimming behind her and then I was feeling really bad because I shouted at Richard but I couldn't I couldn't tell him and eventually he appeared next to me and I was thinking oh at least he's still here (laughs) he hasn't gone for good so then I stuck stuck with this lady for the next section which was only two kilometers it was quite short that was all I focused on her and Richard and it was it was brilliant it was really really good worked really well um we got to the next next lock got back in again um and then I lost her unfortunately I couldn't see her at all um because I think people had got between me and her and and when I got in I couldn't I didn't know where Richard was so I got down the steps started swimming and then there was a, a safety one of the safety crew was there in their kayak and I thought he shouted 
get over to the other side of the bank. So I went directly straight across the river towards the other side, um, whereas everybody else kind of took the racing line going along. And so I kind of probably added about 400 metres onto my swim. But I didn't realise until I got over to the other side of the river and Richard goes, Mel! Oh, Richard finally found me. And he goes, Mel! 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 And that last section, I just felt so strong and so good, even though I didn't know, didn't have this lady in front of me. I just felt so powerful and strong. And I felt like I had this great big expanse of open water in front of me that I could just power along. That was great. That was probably one of my best experiences of open water swimming. I was hoping that I'd come across this lady that had got me through the rest of the race to say thank you but she just disappeared we couldn't find her I contacted Thames Marathon actually the people who organized it and explained and they did put me in touch with her and I said thank you so much for all your help and um, explained what was happening and you know why why I was following her and she she was really she was lovely lovely lady and I was hoping that she lived nearby because it would be fantastic to swim with her but sadly she lives hours away hours and hours away so I it's not possible which is a real shame because she would have been absolute perfect swimming partner then I decided I wanted to ditch the wetsuit and try skin swimming because I hadn't really been using the wetsuit for anything other than those events over the summer. For the Thames Marathon, you have to show evidence before you can apply to swim skins. Um, so I, I entered that in, in uh, wetsuits. So I entered the uh, an estuary swim in Abu Dhabi in September. That was my the last event that I've done, actually. And that was that was a different experience again because being in an estuary swim, it's very tidal. And I entered skins, which was, so it's my first time to actually race skins, um, be in, in the water for, well, I've been in the water for quite a while in just my costume over the summer, but not for an indefinite amount of time, I guess. And so I was a little bit anxious about that. And also I kind of had started to get my competitive brain on a bit that, you know, there's, you know, maybe I've got a chance of getting somewhere if I can really swim hard and it was a four kilometers so it was shorter distance I thought you know I could just really go for it um so Abu Dhabi's it's a lovely beach and then we swam up river towards Mahunt Cliff um two kilometers up that that way and back and the idea of the race was called beat the tide so the idea was that we were supposed to set off just as the tide was coming up the river and then it's supposed to be timed so that we have a little bit of tidal tidal resistance at the turn but then it's supposed to the tide was supposed to go out so we would just whoosh back down the river basically but unfortunately the guy set us off too early and again we went off like one at a time and because it, we were anticipating a start time of 10 50 or something i think it was so we hadn't set the kayak kayak up or anything so the people all queued up going into the sea and me and richard were like mad panic trying to get the kayak blown up again um, and I was trying to get all my swimming stuff off and get my goggles and my hats and everything on and get it all back in the car. It was down to like the last couple of people. So I was like, oh, oh no, this is going to be really stressful. I managed to get in, in in time, set off up the river. And we went upstream very, very fast because we were on the on the tide going up the river. It was, it was very quick. I think we, I did two kilometres in, um, something ridiculous, like 20 minutes. Very, very quick for me. And it felt great. I didn't feel too cold. I think the temperature was about 15, so it was pretty warm. I felt great, and Richard was kayaking next to me. There were quite a lot of boats that were moored, so there's quite a lot of obstacles to get around, but he managed really well with that. And then we got to the turnaround point. Richard said there were people being swept like horizontally upstream about 100 metres beyond the turnaround point because they couldn't get back. He took me on the most direct route back across to the buoy that we needed to get to, and I 
I think because I'm a stronger swimmer, I was able to get across to the boy. But once I got to this boy, it was like a washing machine of arms and legs of people desperately trying to get moving. It was like being on one of those things out of um, gladiators where you they had to go, the travelators where they had to go up the, the treadmill. It just felt like that. It's just arms and legs everywhere. It was just chaos, absolute chaos. And I think it was just sheer strength and determination that got everybody moving. Um, and eventually, I think the tide must have started to subside. Uh, so we managed to make our way back towards Abu Dhabi. But what I found really, really difficult was it took so long to get to swim to Abu Dhabi against the tide that in my mind, I was thinking, you know, I've been swimming for, for 40 minutes, so I must be near the end. And because I can't see the finish and Richard can't tell me how far away it is, I basically kept thinking, right, I'm going to put a sprint finish on now because I really want to get a good place in this race. So I'm going to really go for it now. This is the last stretch of 200 metres. I'm going to put my head down and really go for it. So I'd do that for 200 metres or whatever I thought was 200 metres, get tired and then think, well, where is the finish then? <laughs> it's like, it's got to be here. So I'd start like just drifting along again and I'd think, right, I've got to be near the end now, put head down, let's go for it. And that happened maybe four or five times. And then I was aware of Richard stopped and he was going, hello, hello, are you okay? And I thought he was talking to me, but there was another swimmer in the water. They thought he was a, a safety person. She said she got too cold. He said to her, I'm, I'm with my wife. I can't, I can't really do anything. He's not trained to rescue somebody out of the sea. It was a really difficult, difficult situation because if I stopped, I would get cold. So we had to, she was fine. She said, I'll just start swimming again. But Richard was keeping an eye on her at the same time as me. So we had to kind of slow down a little bit just to make sure that she was okay. They made me realise that in that situation, we would have been in a really difficult position unless we could get somebody's attention very quickly Richard could end up with both of us being in trouble but luckily it didn't come to that eventually we got to the end and went across did my timer and it was very difficult to see where I'd come because everybody went off at different times and and the annoying thing was that Richard said this lady that had stopped and said she was too cold she finished in front of me which was really quite annoying <laughs> that was quite frustrating but it turned out that I came third out of skins and also the first um, female skin. So I was so pleased with that. Ridiculously pleased. More excited than a lot of things I've been in a long time. And the really, really, really exciting development that we are so pleased about is that we have come across something called MyDukes, which is a communication device where Richard has a headset with a microphone. And I have waterproof bone conducting headphones that I can wear in the water. Um, and he can talk to me constantly the whole time. Um, I can't talk to him, but he can talk to me the whole time to give me directions and like to tell me how far away the finish is, for example, or where people are or what he wants me to do or um, just anything really, or just encouragement. And so that's, that's going to be such a game changer for us going forward. It's just so amazing. I can't, I just can't get over how different everything is going to be. I'm you know, going to be so much safer and so much more confident and so much more aware of what's going on. It's just, just so exciting. I can't wait to use it. Although we've only just got it. So it's kind of coincided with a period of time where I'm not going to be doing much head down swimming, but the future just looks so exciting now. Fantastic. That's absolutely brilliant. So tell me, you're involved with a local Lido campaign at the moment. Can you tell me a wee bit about what is involved there? Kenilworth has always had a Lido. Um, it's actually one of the oldest Lidos in the country, if not the oldest Lido in the country. Um, it's on the, the site of the old Abbey. Sounds absolutely lovely, but at the moment it's kind of a bit in ruins. There's At the moment there's a um, 
an indoor pool, which is where I learned to swim with Kenworth Masters. And then there's always been an outdoor pool of some description. And Warwick District Council, maybe four or five years ago, decided they were going to knock down the whole thing and build a new complex and put in another indoor 25 metre pool that's better than the one it is, which is fantastic. But then instead of the outdoor pool, they're going to put in another indoor area, but with a small I think it's proposed to be something like eight metres by 15 metres pool, which is kind of neither here nor there. It's not good for anything, really. So this campaign has been going on for years. And before I got into open water swimming, I was thinking, well, I'm not too bothered either way about this. It's only when the council definitely decided against all appeals that they're going to go ahead with this. They had a public consultation and the majority of people said they would like to have some outdoor swimming facilities. And it's only been the past year that it's really got quite aggravated. And council have said over and over, they're not going to change their plans at all. And I was asked to go and talk at a lo- local meeting a few weeks ago. And I realised then how passionately I felt about having this outdoor swimming facility for so many reasons. I mean, I, being registered blind, I can't get myself to anywhere to swim in cold water independently. I have to rely on somebody else to take me. So I'm very lucky that I've got my husband that can take me to a river. And I have made some friends recently that go to to the nearest safe, clean, open water swimming facility, which is 45 minutes away. But that takes out a whole morning of somebody's day. Unless somebody wants to go and take me there, I'm not going to be able to go. And I I don't work in the day a lot of days. So if I could get myself somewhere, I could go every day. So if this if there was a pool in Abbey Fields that was outdoors, open all year round, I probably would swim in it every day. And I'm sure a lot of people would say the same thing. And then the summer will come and it would be full of families and everybody enjoying the sunshine and the outdoors. And even if it's raining, you could swim. So I got really quite passionate about it. And I spoke at a local campaign meeting. It was their last ditch attempt, basically, to try and show the council how passionately everybody feels about it. Also, environmentally, the the plans that the the council had made were really, really poor. They were basically just building exactly the same way they've built for the last 50 years with gas boilers and no kind of carbon neutral footprint. We had a petition, ongoing petition as well, and we still do have. And it's grown quite significantly in the last few weeks. And I, I went to the council meeting last week to present it to the council. And I listed 10 reasons why we feel that that we need to keep the Lido. There's so many different reasons, not just the historical reasons or the environmental reasons, but the disability access to clean open water swimming is a thing that I find I feel really passionate about. I mean, if you can imagine being in a wheelchair or being challenged from a mobility point of view, it's very, very difficult to get into a river or to get into a lake. It's a lot more difficult than it is for everybody else. And that's even without thinking about the transport problems. So that's what I was really passionate about but we also mentioned the environmental side of it and the historical side of it as soon as I finished talking this guy had obviously already decided what he was going to say and written out this this speech that he made saying that that we're not reviewing the whole the prospects of having the LIDO we're just going to look into the environmental impact of the existing plans that we've drawn up which was really gutting because we thought that actually they were going to look at the whole thing again and the council so the council voted on that And they had to vote in favour of it, because if they didn't, then they would um, be voting against a carbon neutral building, which obviously would be ridiculous. I don't think they've paused their process, but they're kind of rethinking it. There's a working party looking into it. So 
our angle is that what we propose for the Lido is actually more environmentally friendly. Um, and we're hoping that they'll see that when they look into it. And we also gives us a chance. It also gives us a chance to try one last time to rally everybody to support the cause and to to just show how passionate we are about it, really. So this last week has just been absolute, absolutely flat out trying to get to the press and get to local news companies and to get on Facebook and circulate information about the petition and the uh, the protest that we're doing. We're as a group, we're going to be. Well, I keep calling it a sit-in, but my husband keeps pointing it's not a sit-in, pointing out it's not a sit-in, it's a sit-out, because we're going to be sitting outside the, the swimming pool for 24 hours just to show how strongly we feel about it and hoping to get as many people to come down and, and support us as possible. Because when it's gone, I'm going to really miss it. And it's not just me. We're There's a town and a community. We're going to really, really miss it. And I keep thinking about how amazing it would be to just be able to go and swim outside. It'd just be incredible. And a in a clean safe environment it would just be incredible but if it's gone then it's just it's so so sad but a lot of people don't see that and the council included so yeah that's our ongoing campaign I think it's kind of a bit of a a last ditch final hour effort really I'd love to say that we could change the council's mind but I think it's going to be very unlikely well good luck (laughs) thank you thank you so much for your time Thank you so much again, Melanie. Was she not just awesome? You can follow her swimming adventures on Facebook. Just search for Against the Tide Blind Wild Swimming or follow the link in the show notes, where you will also find links to the Restore Kenilworth Lido campaign. Melanie emailed me to say that the 36-hour sit-in, or indeed sit-out, coincided with Storm Arwen, so they actually had to hold the gazebo down due to gale force wind and snow. Now, if that doesn't display the passion of the group, I don't know what could. She said that they got to hear so many amazing memories of the old pool and how how passionate the local people are about keeping an outdoor pool in Kenilworth. Sadly, though, it looks as if the council have made the decision and will be following through with their plans. However, as far as I'm concerned, it's not over until the sledgehammers swing. So please share the campaign information as widely as you can and show the people of Kenilworth our support. Remember, my gorgeous listeners, please to share, review and subscribe to Wild Women. All of these will help get Wild Women into new ears because if you've enjoyed this episode, then your swim buddy might just love it too. Please come and follow Wild Women Pod on Facebook and Instagram. These are absolutely the best way to keep in touch with the show. You will get to see photos of our lovely guests so that you can put a face to the voice and you can also keep up with my swim adventures. Sadly for my sanity, but happily for my grid, I suppose, my swim buddy hasn't been able to swim with me for a wee while, so I've been dragging the John boy out to spot for me from the beach. Delightfully, he is a class act insta-husband, so my photos have been much more entertaining recently. A massive, massive thank you to him. Thanks, as always, to Mary St Mary of the Housecoat Project for allowing me to use the theme music. Links to their work can be found in the show notes. Until next time, enjoy freezing your tits off. She don't want to